Welcome to Esoteric Modulation, episode 020, The Nervous Squirrel. Esoteric Modulation is your podcast that covers all the wild and wonderful world of modular, exciting and unusual instruments, guest interviews, sound snippets, and we also take a look into interesting sound and visual art projects too. I'm Ball, And I'm Ben Wilson, and I realise I've been sacked from my new job. <laughs> <laughs> on the first day i thought i was uh the new chief in resident podcast introducer was my new call in that one i know i just snatched that microphone <laughs> away from you last minute didn't i <laughs> people around the world need softly leading into this bradfordian accent you can lead us in with more of a brummy accent instead <laughs> yeah oh yeah. Uh, yeah that's the thing you get a bit of brummy or you get a bit of northern what what do you fancy in the show i reckon we should do it intermittently mate Share the duties of the introduction to the show to give more people a you know a cultural awareness of the UK. <laughs> <laughs> We're both far from the Queen's English, but interestingly, both places yeah. great places for curry. Yes, around England. Never mind Brick Lane in London. Forget about Brick Lane. Agreed. Yeah, they are two hot spots for curries, aren't they? I mean, growing up as a kid, there used to be what we called the Balti Triangle in Birmingham. This was in like years and years ago. And this is when a lot of places uh, couldn't get licenses and you used to just bring your own uh, spirits or beer because they couldn't serve it. And there were just these traditional Balti houses that served amazing best curries I've ever had. And I think the same sort of culture has grown up in Bradford as well, hasn't it? Yeah, I was telling, I think it was uh, Kyle Swisher of Artist Dark Sparkler from the Source of Uncertainty podcast about those bring-your-own-beer places, being able to go into a restaurant, yeah. order some food and take your own alcohol. And they're still there. There's still a few around Bradford. Yeah. So welcome to episode one of the Currycast. <laughs> How do you like your curry? Do <laughs> a curry cast. <laughs> but how are you? What have you been up to? Well, I'm very well, thank you very much. I've been messing around with the OM1 from our last show and the micro granny, which has been quite nice. You know, you get that sort of dreamy gear sort of lust don't you know those type of times we're always texting each other aren't we and going oh what about this oh what about this yeah but i i fancy building some sort of acoustic audio and effects instrument pretty much inspired by the leaf audio uh, microphonic sound box and the lovely resonant garden that i love by Feltech. i fancy doing something like that myself and you know sort of building it out myself so i've sort of been dreaming about that over the last couple of weeks anyway ben what have you been up to well behind the scenes working on the launch of divkid yororak module number three people are welcome Ooh. to comment on the show somewhere get in touch with me and guess what that may be i've certainly been teasing a little bit on streams and well a little bit in terms of giving not much away but i've definitely been doing a lot of not giving much away <laughs> i'm just excited truth be told about releasing something but the launch is going to be a case of here it is and you can have it and you're not having to wait for a long time i think that satisfaction of putting something out and it just being there is the kind of launch you want. So, you know, speaking to stores, all the kind of behind the scenes stuff. I've not designed the circuit. So again, collaborating with someone on that and just, yeah, a lot of behind the scenes work, but that will be around a week out from when this podcast goes live, there will be a new module and probably more vague teasing across my own channels as well. 
But great bit of news for those that watched last time. The Echoplex is back and it's fixed. Yay! <laughs> you you said that she'd walked out on you left. You looked over and the pillar was empty. Well, she's walked back through your door, hasn't she? Yeah, she just popped out for ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Echoplex is back, but the absolute golden find as much value to someone as the Echoplex itself, which of course a really gorgeous tape delay. Is I found a great tape and kind of vintage valve amp tech within seven miles of me, twenty minutes in a car. Absolute gold mine to just have someone capable because I'm I'm useless with this kind of thing. And but an old machine like that, even if I was a bit handier, I wouldn't want to be messing around inside. So, yeah, managed to find someone. It was actually the playback amplifier that had broken for anyone that's curious. I was, you know, online moaning that it'd broken and it's got to go back. And very luckily, I could have had a refund and sent it back. So I wasn't in any kind of financial risk with a dodgy device. But a hairline crack in the playback amplifier, which would explain why it worked for a while and then didn't, because it wouldn't need any kind of knock or heavy handling for that then to split a little bit and not work but that's been serviced fixed brought back to life and i've got what i think is a really nice bit of audio from the thing i'd love to play playing the kind of plonky synth line in the space echo in the previous show i thought i'd do something similar let's have a listen to it They're just beautiful things, those are, aren't they? And I particularly like the second half of that, where it goes into that sort of little sizzling sound. Actually, two feedback paths going on. That's from a video that will be live by the time the show is, with the Tan H, or the Tan H square brackets free. I don't know how you say it. (laughs) Unfortunately, like some other intro modules, I can't pronounce it very well. In the demo for that module, I built a feedback path in the modular around the Echoplex. So sending sound Uh, in, back into my modular, but then having that also feed back out from my kind of dry synth voice. And the first fade is that feedback path. And the lovely thing with the shaper is, is that feedback blooms, which is usually the moment as a performer, you kind of go ah, pants, where's that coming from? And you'd reach for something to try and kill it because you know it's just going to overbearingly just take over and scream like a madman. It doesn't do that because of the limitings. You can push into this really saturated feedback and it's just got this ceiling and this roof on it and it's lovely. So the first little kind of fade of of saturated tape feedback was that. The second one you said you liked is then the onboard feedback on the Echoplex, which weirdly doesn't sound like that so i can only think Ah. that there must have been some kind of phase difference in something maybe something being inverted somewhere on the modules i was using because there is a sustain which is feedback on the echoplex and that's very full and lovely and what you'd expect but certainly there's no real body to it in this example that that second phase is just this high silly thing and um i'm certainly not upset about having two feedback paths going on (laughs) Wow, so that was a happy accident then, the second half. Totally. It was while I was filming, and I do this quite a lot when, you know, videos take a hell of a long time, even the short ones, it's days of work on end, usually quite long days. So the camera was on, and I turned sustain off on the Echoplex. I was doing my feedback path thing, that's what I was demoing. Mm. And I thought, 
wonder what happens if I turn sustain up because there's no limit on the internal feedback. And I was yeah. like, Ooh, what's this? <laughs> so That's nice, I may have to, I'd, I'd like a tiny little case, like an, an Echoplex buddy, like a, a Yororak sidecar <laughs> for the Echoplex. Yeah. It's maybe a bit awkward to come out of what won't be modular level into an Echoplex into modular and back out and, you know, gain staging in and out and things like that. But complete opposite end of the kind of audio world coming forward, nearly 60 years from the Echoplex, <laughs> uh, been playing around with Supermassive from Valhalla DSP, which is a free yeah. plugin that they put out. And God, is it glorious. I was so excited. I sprung into action, made a ridiculous thumbnail looking like a complete tool. <laughs> made a lot. <laughs> I just thought, why not? I'll have some fun with it. Probably a bit of an idiot in the video, truth be told. But made a nice stereo modular patch based around the Piston Honda from Industrial Music Electronics. And kind of sprung into making a demo for the, the Supermassive, but also it's such a nice playable thing. I made a kind of DivKid preset pack for people that is also free. So we'll link in the show notes for Supermassive. Everyone should yeah. go download it. I know there's a lot of people listening might not like software, but run your hardware and it's absolutely glorious. Kind of a hybrid delay reverb ambient supermassive machine i don't know what else to call it but it'd yeah. be nice just to share some of those examples and let's get into a couple First one, what was you putting through that uh, for a start? And it's got a very rubbery, elastic quality to it, hasn't it? Yeah, the, the synth is the Virtual CZ by Ollie Larking, which is a software replica of a Casio CZ and all its phase distortion synthesis. It does a good kind of fake modal gamelan ethnic percussion-y kind yeah. of thing it's a great synth virtual cz and that patch was called reverse bounce and it's the there's a classic kind of modular patch the bouncing ball you know the kind of kind of thing you know imagine dropping a ball on the floor it's kind of doing the opposite of that and it rattles around quite quickly and those delays seem to slow as time goes on which i just thought was a really lovely thing and it's you know you're not playing around with complex things to do that on supermassive it was again a happy accident truth be told of just yeah. ooh, these seem to fade up and down in time this is cool <laughs> a bit of fine tweaking and, and just exploring wow. then the second one quite opposite was a set to a full bar within my daw and more of a kind of tape sound on sound looper style yeah. patch it's the broken sos looper i called that one yeah. you can hear as those first synth notes stop playing it's just sat in this kind of yummy tape kind of sound yeah. i'm definitely going to explore more kind of sound on sound 
loop type applications because you could push the kind of vibrato and the pitch warble from the modulation you could push the filtering that bit more you could push the feedback and have it hang around it goes to 100 percent feedback so you Uh, could do you could do the tape sound on sound loop which mechanically just removes the erase head so nothing on the tape is being erased but it's always degrading back into its you know own tape noise if you like yeah I'm going to try that, see if I can go 100% feedback. So effectively nothing is digitally being kind of told to go away and decay, yeah. but then play with the modulation and EQ and see, see where that takes you. What's left could be an interesting thing. Yeah. But yeah, just a couple more examples before we move on. There's some other nice patches I'd like to share. Yeah, let's have a listen to these. some lovely examples there ben um, i'm particularly interested on the first and the last one what you was using as sound sources for those but some lovely sort of sustaining delays there yeah, yeah really nice can you run us through those yeah so the the pluck buddy patch which was the first of those three is serum from Exo records just a right. kind of simple simple enough kind of synth pluck uh, the nice trick which is something i want to make a video on is having two envelopes one that is very plucky but another one that has a very long rise so if i hold a longer note down we get the swell but if i play a quick right. note we don't so it's kind of merging okay. two envelopes that depend on how long you hold a key down or yep. sequence them but that's more of a kind of delay example but they do wash into a more reverberant stereo space yeah the second one just a quick example of just the lovely kind of stereo bloom of making a big diffused reverb with it. The last one was an instrument called Walno from Felt Instruments, which is free. They make some very lovely paired bits of software that, you know, go support them and buy it if you like Walno. But we'll link in the show notes to that instrument. And it is a piano recorded to tape, then played back at half speed. And that's what's been sampled to create the instrument. So it's, all, like. <laughs> so it's already, it's already got, you know, all the kind of front end of the notes and transients are smeared yeah. because it's half to be tape. Nice. You can control it. This, the plugin's lovely. We don't, let's not get too far into wall note, but you can, <laughs> you can pull in tape noise. And when you release a key, if there's like any mechanical clatter and it feels very real and lo-fi and lovely. And yeah, that one is a preset called rattle verb on that one and it's a very yeah like springing the back of one of those spring door stoppers almost it kind of rattles away to itself and then those rattles fade very lovely to kind of diffuse into a dense reverb i wasn't sponsored by valhalla or anything like that but i just so sometimes things come along hardware or software where just like god this is good (laughs) and you really just want to shout about it it's free it's ridiculous (laughs) 
again in the kind of spirit of supporting people if you go grab that for free and you want to support valhalla dsp buy the valhalla delay because that is a stunning bit of kit for 50 dollars. and if you think you get both of them for 50 dollars, or just just grab the freebie that's fine as well yeah. great really amazing work from all involved on that one so i was quite keen to to shout about them and of course we'll link all this in the show notes for people to check it out which leads me beautifully, actually, into our first guest, because talking about software and hardware, this guy does it all. From East London, England, he has a background in engineering, art, product design and special effects, known as a mechanical sculptor and a freelance engineer. But for me, truly, is an adventurous multimedia artist, designer and builder that has created all kinds of beautiful bizarre and exceptional machines. He has been involved with some amazing design commissions over the years for many artists, organizations and companies. From unknown artists to big names that we all know like Samsung, Sony, Toyota and Heineken, he has crafted amazing projects for many. The skills and techniques he uses to create these vast array of designs are machining, metalwork, welding, carpentry, electronics, robotics, fiberglass, programming, graphic design, CAD, CNC, strip motors, servos, pneumatics, PCB design and lasers. And the list goes on. You gotta love the lasers bit though. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot for you to read, never mind for the poor guest to actually do himself. <laughs> you always need a good laser, I think. Very, very James Bond. Um, in his very own modest words, he says, I really like making things, and oh boy, does he make them. From radioactive xylophones to the ferramin in the badger. Yes, you heard it right here. A ferramin <laughs> in the badger. <laughs> his interactive sculptures can draw breath and make you smile. His creative output and company goes under the name of Nervous Squirrel. He's also known as Dave Cranmer. Welcome to the show, Dave. Hi, guys. It's great to have you on. Thanks a lot for coming. It's just your work is immense. It's deep and it's rich. You've got so much out there. And we will say at this point, please take a look at Dave's website. We'll put all the links in the show notes because there is such a wealth of amazing designs out there. So Dave, I know that you have a workshop in East London at the moment and you provide special effects for film and TV. You've produced projects for commercial clients and you've done a lot for marketing and advertising agency as well as independent artists. And somehow you have the ability to show on working for yourself there too. Can you tell us the road to arriving as Nervous Squirrel, the early days and what the lead up has been to where you are now? Well, I guess it's probably playing with Lego and listening to strange electronic music. I guess that's been the two things. So gradually they sort of, those two things have sort of evolved and combined over time. And so that's turned into sort of what I'm doing now, basically. But yeah, it's those those things stuck together. Yeah, it's 
been an amazing journey from those humble roots of Lego and sound, I have to say, but what a great way to start. What have been sort of the small projects along the way that have amalgamated together and brought you into quite a unique position of being this sort of maker, creator of all these wild and wonderful things? Well, I guess the the real start to the sort of audio stuff was maybe doing circuit bending stuff years and years ago where uh, somebody showed me how to modify a musical doorbell and they just slipped their finger and sort of prodded it in there and suddenly it started producing these weird and wonderful sounds and I guess then starting to sell bits and pieces and take on commissions and that was that was sort of inspiring in the early days to start basically making things for other people and so maybe that's how it began. And what was your working background to then? What what did you get involved with sort of work-wise that gave you some of these skills to go out and do this? Well, it was definitely, uh, I worked in a lot of workshops on a freelance basis and that was a really good thing in terms of learning how to do stuff because basically if you wanted to remain employed and someone asked you, have you done fiberglass before? You just sort of say, yes and then jump on it and learn from the older guys who are really good at it and so yeah it was a really good environment to learn new stuff and also be given the sort of responsibility of having to finish something in five days that had to be shipped out you know quickly and so definitely freelance workshop work was the place to learn a lot of stuff I mean the breadth of what you can do sort of skill wise is absolutely amazing and how did you build up those sort of individual skills as you went along to be able to then obviously put them all together to be able to do what you do now I guess it was just a case of each project requires a different approach and then but then you start building on older projects you know bringing in bits of older projects and sticking them together and it just adds it's a cumulative thing over time you realize a project's going to need a bit of metal work and a bit of something else and and so yeah it's a build over time I suppose. Was your first commission that you got that sort of put you on the road to thinking wow this could be a great thing to do what was the first thing somebody went I'll pay you to do that? So the first audio commission was a guy in Italy got in touch and said could you modify an operation game where you have the man and you have the tweezers and you have to sort of do stuff and there's a a buzzer and his nose lights up, sort of kid's game, but he wanted it so he could play it on stage and so there's a case of mounting it in a box, putting it on a stand and giving it an audio output so he could play it into his sound system. But that was really inspiring because he was a really nice guy and he was really excited about the project and so, and it just felt exciting to be sort of making something that was going off over the sea to entertain unknown crowds and so that made me think oh it's cool that people there might be more people who might want some things made for them so yeah audio is where i first kind of found you and your work dave with the ring modulator project things about six seven years ago i stumbled onto that maybe eight a push but looking around that time and looking at your website now, we can see a monster of a 5U modular system. I'd like to just get into your kind of musical background prior to electronic music, bits of circuit bending, all the kind of engineering that you do now. Is there a musical path that kind of at some point bumped into the kind of electrical engineering and what you do now? Yeah, I guess I'd always been super into 
electronic music just because it's so varied and unpredictable and interesting and so that had always been a, a thing and then yeah learning the sort of electronics definitely facilitated making more weird noises which um, took off over the years I guess so yeah the ring modulator I remember making the first one in a an ice cream tub and just being very excited with the results it's uh, just a handful of components but it has such a amazing output for for just that small simple design so I guess that sort of was inspirational at the beginning and it's just grown from there really I guess that ring modulator is it the exact circuit from the radiophonic workshop I mean it talks about the Dalek sound and and its heritage but is it that exact thing yeah it's the it's the exact circuit with the germanium diodes and the little transformers so yes the exact same thing I noticed on the site it says they're out of stock but are they available for people if they get in touch it does mention to email you absolutely i think get in touch give me a bit of a prod and i'll i'll make one for you for sure something i still use it's on my pedal board at the moment works really nicely oh that's nice i didn't know that thanks thanks for letting me know about that that's really cool looking around the the modular i mean there's there's loads in there from bits i don't recognize to bits that i do there's things like the hairball phasers the schultz phasers i think there's mention of some non-linear circuits at what point did you kind of move to get all of this in a box and start building other people's modules and getting pcbs yeah was that kind of a a way of gathering everything together or just wanting to build a synth yeah absolutely absolutely and there was there was a really critical kind of step in the beginnings of the sort of circuit bending stuff to the synth stuff, which was uh, Nicholas Collins's book, The Art of Hardware Hacking, which it's had sort of experimental DIY stuff in, but it started introducing chips and making very simple oscillators and then oscillators to oscillate other oscillators. And it sort of showed how the, the use of the chips, which are sort of initially you're not quite sure what they do when you're starting out in electronics, but then this really showed the use of them. And that led very quickly to Ray Wilson's Music From Out of Space PCBs. And I th- thought quite early on, if it, rather than make sort of 5,000 little ice cream tub boxes and have them scattered all over the place, it might be an idea to put them in a box all together. And so that led to tipping point with buying a, a synthesizers.com power supply. And that was it. I'd committed to it at that point. I've since bought, I think, two more. But um, yeah, that was really the first step. It sort of arrived in this big, exciting box for the packing chips and uh, with a single module that just had the power switch on it. And that was kind of number one. And so, <laughs> yeah, everything sort of grew from that, really. And So did you draw a line at power? Was that something of, all right, if I'm going to do this in this format, I should just buy some pre-done power? Because it seems like now you'd be highly capable of that. I mean, a lot of people stay away from mains, but clearly you're not necessarily doing that at the moment. Part of the reasoning was there's just a whole world of power supplies and it's just this whole dark art of, I mean, there's a lot to it. But also I thought at the time I imagined if I'd got something wrong, Imagine making sort of like 40 modules and then something went wrong and fried a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to build out of a kind of known standard and build from there. Yeah, totally, yeah. The next project kind of amongst 
the history before saying to Ed, Ed, I've got someone really cool to come on the show. You're going to love this. <laughs> was the awesome xylophone that was at the Dublin Science Gallery, I think in 2017. That's got uranium in it, which is a really interesting thing. In yeah, itself. nice link. Yeah, but there's also the modular version, the Geiger counter random source. Which one came first? Did you make a radioactive xylophone or module first the module came first so i read a thing about someone generating random numbers for their computer as a sort of source for they were doing something to do with cryptography where they needed a sort of pool of random numbers which you can actually buy random numbers which is quite interesting but uh, yeah like truly random numbers because it's actually quite difficult for computers to come up with random numbers so there's a lot on the internet about different ways of generating them but one great way of generating truly random numbers is using a radioactive source. So basically, because I've been doing the modular and often you hear about something and wonder how it might apply to the synthesizer, I thought, oh, that's a good idea. You could apply that to generate sort of random voltages, which could then be used musically. So I found this really cool company called unitednuclear.com and I ordered a little jar of uranium ore and incredibly, the postman bought it. They brought it a couple of uh, weeks later, <laughs> sort of arrived by a royal mail or whatever. And, um, Did he uh, have a lead apron on when he delivered it? No, not at all. No. Yeah. Uh, so, and then I had a, a sort of Geiger counter kit, like a cheap one with a glass tube. And it was amazing putting the rocks, the sort of very inanimate looking rocks next to the, the Geiger counter. And suddenly there's all this activity. And... So it just seemed super fun to link this kind of rock in into a way a compositional tool sort of thing. So I thought I thought of this idea sort of myself, and then watching a documentary with Peter Zanofiev and his technician David Cockerell. I think they were working EMS at the time, and it was in the mid '60s. Uh, they did exactly the same thing. They had a Geiger counter and a wristwatch with a glowing face and they were using it to generate random numbers for exactly the same purpose for compositional input and so yeah they've done it many decades before so i couldn't believe it when they were describing it so <laughs> there uh, can't be many between that one and your invention of the brand well, maybe it's a bit of a cli- bit of a cliche well yeah there's certainly not many of them it was the first time i'd seen it but then I didn't immediately make the connection moving on to the awesome O-R-E, some not awesome with an A, my bad accent, the awesome xylophone at the Trinity College uh, Science Museum in Dublin. But the, the kind of clattering of random chromatic, just mechanical hammering on this instrument is really kind of suitably haunting. When did you decide to put it in a bigger installation? How did this one come about? I guess... Somebody put me in touch with the science gallery when they were looking for uh, musical stuff for an upcoming exhibition. And I guess it was just a a few ideas that came together, like the xylophone plus the random note generating. uh, And so, and then I think what was nice to make it interactive, there's actually a lead shield in between the radioactive source and the Geiger counter so that uh, people can turn the hand wheel and it physically moves the lead out of the way and increases the tempo. And so it just seemed like a quite fun thing for people to sort of play with. Stuck in and made it and took it out to Dublin and it was really good fun. And the the guys at the Science Gallery I'm still in touch with, they're just a super nice bunch of people. So that was a really fun project. 
Yeah, I was over there for um, the second year Euro Crack. It was Greg Gibbons modular event out in Dublin. And we held a modular meet in one of the kind of side rooms, but all the kind of folding walls were open. And it was suitably kind of fitting this, you know, electronic bleeps from the kind of modular room and then the kind of mechanical clatter of, uh, <laughs> of that as well. You could have almost tried to I guess you could somehow rig up some collaborative, interactive processing of one or the other. Yeah, it has MIDI out, so uh, yeah. Well, I didn't realise it had MIDI out, so for the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, we could have MIDI'd that up, but also there was um, Look Mum No Computers first, Synthbike was there, as well as the uh, Moog or Moog uh, UK Sound Lab was out as well. So it was a really nice, interactive, kind of sound-based kind of summer residency they had going on yeah i have to say that does sound quite a logistically tricky thing to do i was wondering what other sort of designs have you found logistics to be really tricky with in design okay so one tricky one i think was um setting up a seven meter high ping pong ball cannon on the roof of a casino in portugal um for a few different reasons one tricky part was that the machine needed seven leaf blowers to make it work but plugging two leaf blowers into any one of the hotel power outlets would blow the fuse so you basically had extension leads coming from miles around in this big sort of spider shape going to the thing up on the roof and so that was one tricky thing and then where we were working there was this decking with these big gaps in between and so whenever you dropped a screwdriver basically it was like working in space because if you dropped anything it would immediately fall into this void under the floor irretrievably gone forever part of it caught fire uh there's these, <laughs> there these central locking actuators and that were only to be turned on briefly and they were left on and so this camera assistant was coming the next day and we were, I was like phoning him up going, bring central locking actuators, as many as you can carry. And, <laughs> and so, the, yeah, that was a sort of tough one in terms of just achieving the desired goal. I mean, it sounds to me like a really exciting thing to do what you're doing. I love doing commissions and, you know, I, I went to Canada once to do a commission. Are you a bit addicted to the the sort of rush of doing something, then getting out on site, you know, being in different places. I mean, it is a nice part of what you do, I can imagine. Sure. And I guess it's just part of the the industry in that it's very rare that people get in touch and say, I've got this project, but you've got six months. It's usually, I've got this project. We've all been chatting about it for six months and now we've got <laughs> a few days. So literally that. So we're like, okay, they've, they've decided the colour and now all they've got to do is build it. So I, I keep a lot of parts in stock so that, you know, I can get going straight away, basically. So I've usually got, I've got like steel racks and boxes and motors and whatever. And so I can sort of usually get going pretty quickly for that reason, because a lot of people get in touch right at the last minute. So, yeah, uh, but it's, it's good in, in that the, it gets the job done quickly. And if you do have six months and you, you mostly spend that time talking and so it's good sometimes just to have a couple of weeks and then it's done so yeah what happens to all the parts when they're done i mean i imagine some of these things you've built are still stored somewhere but do many of them end up having to just be dismantled and you kind of bring them back down and store the parts yeah exactly that so sometimes if there's something for an advert it might actually it's this incredible sort of very precious thing that arrives at the studio in a crate with loads of packing and they, they film it for 
three minutes and then it's immediately sort of scrap. And so anything useful, motors, electronics, all that sort of stuff is definitely kept. Of course, you can't store everything and keep them fully intact was the the chocolate gramophone pool or bath for, for aero <laughs> <Yes>. chocolate. <laughs> and I was thinking, I bet the aero chocolate company didn't want to keep a gramophone no. on a chocolate bath. I imagine they left yeah. with that. <laughs> well, uh, how do you get rid of it? So I don't want to ruin the, the dream of the thing, but it wasn't real chocolate. So it was just this kind of natural slime, basically. And how do you dispose of something like that? You know, because you mixed up the mixture and put in lots and lots of buckets afterwards. I, I left, but yeah, there was just these people forlornly looking at this massive tank of sludge. <laughs> so, but um, I remember they took the top off that, they took the casing off the tank, and my friend, had, he'd been crawling around underneath it, sort of connecting up the valves and stuff, and he'd filled it with obscene graffiti that he'd signed the director of the project. He'd put the, the director's name as if he'd been under there signing all the like doing all the graffiti. But, but I remember that was funny when the, the top came off and there was all these drawings around the the frame right. yeah yeah it's amazing you've done just so much what has been the most technically challenging project uh we've gone sort of through logistically what would be the most technically challenging one that you've done i'd say it's probably a big phonograph that i made for the composer nick ryan so he wanted this machine that took data from passing space debris passing over the uk or a certain window wherever you set it up so the stuff would pass overhead it's kind of tracked live and then depending on the size of the objects like old disused satellites or whatever depending on the size it would play one of a thousand tracks on this massive cylinder either sort of bass or treble and yeah basically it was this huge one and a half meter aluminium cylinder with a thousand stereo tracks recorded onto it so the project was done in two halves which the first bit was basically making a machine to record onto the cylinder so that had to be super accurate and there's basically one shot of recording it so recording needle had to descend record one revolution and then lift up again and it had to do that a thousand times with i think 1.4 millimeter spacing in between each track and then the second half of the project was building the playback machine which had eight mechanized styli to play the individual tracks as the software sort of told it to and so that was a tough one because it was just one shot at recording the cylinder and it just involved a lot of setting up and getting everything super precise but yeah it was it was super interesting i learned a lot on that one wow that sounds really really tricky what sort of time period did that uh, take you to put together because uh, looking at the pictures again people go to your website you've got some great images on all these things it just looks absolutely amazing really really well engineered it looks like it might have taken a bit of time that one I think it was a lot of hours, but maybe over a couple of months, I think. Right. Okay. Well, that's for, for, for what you've built there, that's an amazing timeline. You mentioned that your back's against the wall on a lot of these things. So I'm guessing it's a bit like famine and feast, isn't it? Is it all systems go and it's late nights, early mornings for quite a while? Yeah, definitely. When there's a project on it, it gets sort of hectic. But then the second the project's finished, then you kind of want to get on with your own project. So you just do more of the same, really. So I don't really observe weekends that much. I just sort of do yeah. stuff all the time. And so, time, but, yeah. but it doesn't matter because 
I think it's also enjoyable that it doesn't feel like, oh, I've reached the weekend, I'm going to have a day off. It's just like, oh, what am I doing at the moment? And so I, I tend to work on projects kind of solidly until they're finished and then just sort of do something else. But it's 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 always interesting. And so I don't really see it as work, really. So. No, I, I have to say, when Ben first mentioned you, he said, oh, Ed, I've got this amazing guy that you're going to absolutely love. He's built a radioactive xylophone. I was like, what? <laughs> obviously we, we talked about that earlier on but then i went to your website and there's just so much i mean there is really so many projects on there and it's been hard in the, the show's time to sort of pick out a few to talk about really and so me and ben got down in with ben and like, oh, what do you think of this what do you think of this but we'd love to talk about them all but is there one particular project that you thought wow I'm going to really enjoy this one. You know, a big cheesy smile come on your face. Or do you get that with all your projects? Destroying a grand piano with a flamethrower. That was a fun one. Uh, <laughs> I think anything and flamethrower. <laughs> Sounds like no. a fun one. <laughs> the girl who was operating it was very young and she was just going like, oh, it's heavy. And I was like, please don't drop it. So it was quite stressful in the end, but actually watching the video back afterwards was uh, was really cool so i did enjoy that just for its kind of like rock and roll coolness are all your projects on your website or is there many that you don't put on or is there you know pretty much all of them on there i try and get as much as i can on there because often right. a project will lead to another so they'll people say are oh, we no matter how obscure like i've I've put sort of essentially quite boring projects on that where people get in touch. So every project does lead to others. So I try and get them all yeah. on there. But there are ones that haven't been on for basically non-disclosure purposes. So they wait. Right. But yeah. Or, or there's there's quite a few that haven't been released, actually, that are kind of waiting a little bit. Yeah. It's either unreleased or non-disclosure where no one who worked on it is allowed to say they had any involvement, which ha which some some companies do so yeah they're so wide ranging as well like you know you're dealing with radioactive xylophones one minute which is you know pretty serious um and then we've got a pheromone in a badger the next i mean talk to us about the pheromone in the badger and do you like working on these sort of bizarre combinations of things as well i was doing a project at the royal festival hall and we were looking after a this installation and there was a load of theremins there and I spent a lot of time talking to the sort of producer we were just sort of hanging out in the space and this one conversation which was we were just talking about potential ridiculous casings for theremins and I, I said a badger and he said oh you've got to make the badger min and so a while later <laughs> I just made it for a joke and just emailed it to this one person but then it sort of took off a bit. And then I got an email from someone who's ended up being a really close friend. My friend Charlie Draper said, I need to play this instrument. And so when can we do it? And so I found myself on the train to Cambridge where he was at the time. And we made this little video and it just resurfaces every now and again. It's just really funny. And so, But what's wonderful about it is I got to meet Charlie and we've do, we're doing a few projects. We've got some more coming up. We've just made one. He also plays the Ondas Martineau and we've got this speaker peripheral that's kind of just about finished now, I think, but it involves playing audio through a gong. It's quite interesting. So yeah, it's funny how sort of years of collaborations have came about from this one conversation years ago. And yeah, that project just 
keeps popping up <laughs> it's great to see the badger in and you know kind of funny to think of it just being played by any of us kind of messing around but then actually seeing him play it properly as, as the video states the badger in played properly yeah it's fantastic i see as well that page links to the owl pheromone for anyone that's uh maybe more of an owl than a badger fan <laughs> that's right and then I, I did make a second Magimin and then then I had to say, okay, no more taxidermy because I was becoming the taxidermy comedy instrument person, and so <laughs> I, had, I had to kind of tone that one that side of things down a bit. It's like when actors get pigeonholed because they've got one role that they're known for. You have to be careful you don't paint yourself yeah, into a corner. I was, I was getting pigeon theremins. excellent i mean there's a massive array as well of companies that you've worked for how did they find you so i I don't know it was it was things like working for other workshops they would have a big client and then from my involvement in that that would gain the trust of other big clients i guess and so it was kind of gradually stopped working in other people's workshops and then ended up doing stuff for myself a bit more there's many very striking bits of work on the website but a nice kind of funny one on there is the alpaca sound system (laughs) (laughs) which the top of the website says a radio controlled life-sized alpaca mounted on a petrol engine with caterpillar tracks yeah (laughs) with a three meter wide 5800 watt sound (laughs) system and 218 inch subwoofers no further explanation (laughs) (laughs) was that a personal project or did someone need an alpaca sound system well so every august usually have a sort of summer get together for our friends to which you're both invited to of course thank Um, you yeah we have a party every summer and i usually try and make something kind of fun to unveil and other other people do other stuff so i think it was the year before last it'd be nice to have some music in the garden and so then you know, a few weeks later, it's the alpaca. Oh, the one great thing is the company I bought it off, I managed to, the alpaca arrived, and it was kind of white when it arrived. I managed to sneak it into the bedroom so that my wife didn't know about it, and she went in there, and there's the life-size alpaca. And, uh, yeah, that was it was worth it just for that. But, um, but yeah, also I wanted to have a go at making some caterpillar tracks and so all those different things came together and then we had the party and then that drove up out of the, it was sort of hidden under a tarpaulin and then it sort of drove up the garden. Um, that was good fun. Yeah, last year's project for the party was a giant chicken, which was also fun. Dave, I've got to come to your parties. That's all I'm going to say. They sound great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If an apocalypse hits, we kind of know where to go, don't we, for entertainment, things that will potentially save our lives, for transporting goods. <laughs> I just like this. I wanted to do something with Caterpillar tracks. It's effectively going, I wanted to get like the base of a tank down, and then I'll worry about the top bit later. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, there's just been so many, hasn't there? And I just love how you go from these extremes of wild and bizarre to sort of serious and very mechanical. Do you have any preference or is it just, does it all just come into one sort of flowing creative jungle that you like to sort of carve your way through? I think one important factor is tends to be the enthusiasm of the client, basically. I think if, if you're working with someone who's like really sort of passionate about what they want you to make, I find that quite infectious. And if it's, 
basically working with nice people, I think that really helps. But yeah, I mean, and also if you do a load of really precise mechanical stuff for a while, it's really nice if the next project is just really messy and just something that's a bit more sculptural. And then after you've done that for a bit, you really fancy doing a bit of soldering and, you know, something that doesn't involve loads of dust on all your clothes all the time. So, so then you sit in electronics kind of environment for a while. And I guess going from one to another keeps it sort of varied. And yeah, so I, I mean, I love doing mechanical stuff. I really enjoy that, but it's nice to have a range and then it sort of um, keeps it interesting. Interesting. I mean, you've worked with a few people a few times, haven't you? Because um, another one of my favorites is the weather controlled electromechanical sound installation. And that's uh, Nick Ryan, isn't it? Again, who you did the cylinder with. That's right. Can you walk me through that one? Because I just visually, love that creation was this the first thing that you did with nick it was yes so i think we met through a mutual friend and he had basically all this weather data and he wanted to make it make a load of percussion stuff move and yeah and it was quite nice developing that because we were wondering we had these sort of tibetan singing bowls and we didn't know if we didn't know if to strike them with a mallet or if to sort of run around the edge. But then we realised if we motorised them and spun the bowl, then we could have oh, both. And yeah. so there was some nice little kind of details came out of that. And it was, yeah, it was nice working with Nick, who was kind of very passionate about what he's doing. So and that went off to Tasmania, the top of a mountain. So it had to, yeah, survive that journey, which wow. is about as far as you could get the thing. Yeah. Yeah, it looks beautiful for one. It just caught my eye and just, you know, with the percussion and the singing bowls and the way that you strike those, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We should say, and we've already said it a few times, but we've got the benefit while recording this and, of course, doing a bit of research beforehand of, of seeing all these on the website. Many of these projects have bits of clips and audio and video. There's certainly a really nice video for the weather-controlled electromechanical sound installation. And we'll make sure all of these are in the show notes as well. It's interesting you mentioned, it plays into what you said earlier about, you know, moving between getting into electronics and soldering for a while and then getting into something that's more sculpture based. It plays into that idea that a change is as good as a rest, which is something told to me by parents growing up that I find that with audio, even as, as something as simple as, oh, I've been doing loads of really washy ambient stuff. I need some distortion and something to give my head a good kick in. So you kind of fire up the drums and some distorted bass and live in that space for a while. And then I may want to work with tape again and then kind of move through that noisy lo-fi thing into something more hi-fi. And it, it certainly keeps things kind of moving and exciting and trying not to be too pigeonholed, pigeon pheromoned, pigeonholed. <laughs> <laughs> definitely sort of just helps keep things moving and sure yeah it's great to see such a, a range of projects on the site definitely yeah it's, it's definitely good to have a, a change like you say can you talk about anything that's coming up is there any projects i imagine there's lots of ndas in play for you know product launches and things like that but anything you can hint as what may come up on the site for people to check out soon Okay, so um, I just finished the big one, and it's currently sitting in two crates in my workshop, but I don't know when that will be made public, because the event it was originally for was cancelled, and so at some point that will be coming out. But I've mentioned a project, the the kind of Andres Martineau project with Charlie Draper, the Theremonist, that should be on there at some point. 
And I'm really looking forward to this summer, instead of making a massive sculptural project, I think I'm going to try and bring the modular up to speed just so that it's finished, inverted commas, but kind of like really all calibrated and any sort of last little 1% details are kind of done. And so I'd, I'd love for it to be at a point where, you know, it's a standalone instrument and not something where I have to explain some odd little imperfection that I haven't finished yet. So... And yeah, and usually each year we have the sort of summer party and Sam from Look Mum No Computer, he usually comes along and we have a sort of synth jam and people join in. And so we've done that, I think, the last three years, I think. And it's always a bit of a, an inspiring deadline so that it's at a better stage each year for everyone to come and have a go at it. So my ultimate goal with the, the synth is just to get much more people using it, basically. So, yeah. I love this idea of almost like going to a, some kind of dinner party and are expected to bring a, a dish, you know, a tray of something that you've cooked or some contribution that there's a party that we all need to be creatively bring something along for everyone to play with. It's a really cool idea. Yeah. Uh, last year, Sam brought a massive case full of patch leads in case we ran out. So that was, yeah, instead of bringing a salad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The functional bit that just... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, five million actually. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic stuff. Well, I think that about rounds the show up, guys. Dave, your work is amazing. It's colossal. I absolutely love it. Uh, thank you very, very much for coming on the show today. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. That's great. And we'll put all of Dave's information in the show notes. And please, please just have a look on his website. It is absolutely, well, it will take you a little bit of time to get through it, but you will enjoy it. So I think that about rounds our show up, Ben. Yeah, and at this stage, I'd like to give a nice shout out to some of our friends over in Seattle. We've got Kyle and Robert's Source of Uncertainty Bukla podcast and the lure of kind of Bukla, the gas is always present in my mind. We've got Tim Hell's Podular Modcast, which you should definitely check out. He's had some great guests on recently. Waveform Magazine around now is moving into its new paid-for subscription and kind of slight version two, I guess, in a way. And the good people of Patchworks I saw recently are open for curbside pickup and are delivering out to us all in isolation, lots of nice modules and synth gear. I'd also like to point people to the isolation streaming resource that I'm keeping and updating every few days. It's been great to see the community kind of really out in force, supporting all these streams and artists and creatives doing things and just hanging out with everybody live where we're all locked down. Yeah, and we release our show every month, so remember to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. And if you find yourself over there and you've enjoyed the shows, please give us a thumbs up or a review. If you like to listen to your podcast with all detailed show notes, then please head over to the website at www.esotericmodulation.com. You can also look us up on Instagram and Facebook where you can keep up to date with what's happening and it's a great place to pop some questions at us as well. Well, guys, thanks a lot for that. Dave, thanks a lot once again for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks. Uh, I'm very flattered that you uh, asked me to do it. Yeah, head to nervousquirrel.com. It's an absolute visual treat, all of these projects. Kind of funny talking about it when there's so much great material on the site. But yeah, love your time. Thanks again, Dave, and I'll speak to you soon, Ed. Bye. See you all. Bye.